Welcome to the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, John Lawson, Senior Wealth Advisor at Asante Wealth Management and Sauna Family Office. We are always looking for unique ways to educate our client families and be introduced to new clients. At Sauna Family Office, we help business owners and affluent families navigate the complexities of wealth through a variety of wealth management and family enterprise oversight services. Today on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast, we have back by popular demand, Drummond Brodeur, Senior Vice President and Global Strategist for CI Global Asset Management. He's here to revisit the 2021 thoughts from last year versus what actually happened. And then of course, get his new thoughts on what he sees happening in 2022. All right, Drummond, let's get to it. First up, let's do a rewind and go back to a statement or actually a question you posed early last year from your 2021 market outlook. And it was 2021 is all about the cyclical bounce, an easy call, but what lies beyond the bounce? Are we shifting towards a structurally higher trajectory versus that of the past decade? enhanced by a new policy framework driven by a new fiscal monetary paradigm? Or do we settle back down into the sluggishness, disflationary trajectory of secular stagnation influenced by the three Ds, debt, demographics, and digital disruption? Well, that's a mouthful, but that's what you said about a year ago, Drummond. So uh, how'd that all turn out? Well, that's uh, that's well, that's very well written. I don't know who wrote that, but that's not wonderful. Uh, but it it highlights one of the dangers of writing something on a quarterly basis. Actually, is you can always go back and be uh, be held accountable. Um, lo- luckily, I got that one pretty right. But there's 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 a lot packed into that statement that you've uh, that you've pulled out uh, there, John, and because it captures a lot of what what we've gone through in 2021, and really, what are we transitioning to into this next rest of this decade? Um, and so there's uh, there's a lot we can unpack from there. But uh, look, 2021 itself um, definitely was all about the bounce. But this time last year, we just had vaccines for the first time. Um, so we were just starting to sort of roll out vaccines in the U.S. And if you remember here in Canada, it was all about the uh, kerfuffle because we didn't get vaccines soon enough, et cetera, and, and, and slow down. So it was still uh, a time when COVID was in control because the vaccines were here but they had not yet really been rolled out and our expectation for 2021 was going to be as vaccines rolled out it was going to unleash the pent-up demand and that was that cyclical bounce cyclical recovery that we were going to uh, see and that we'd see one of the strongest economic uh, sort of uh, growth rates that we've seen in our in our in our careers um, and and that has largely played out um, not exactly as anticipated but we certainly got that cyclical bounce in the first half of the year as people got the sort of uh, the vaccines and uh, you start reopening economies and people were able to go back out to dinners, reopen services, travel, et cetera, everything we wanted to do. So that pent up demand very much uh, uh, coming, uh, uh, coming through very strongly over the course of 2021. Uh, what we didn't foresee or what, uh, you know, the, uh, the curveball, if you will, in uh, 2021 uh, was over the course of the summer with the arrival of Delta, the sort of the Delta variant. And so we had, yes, we had vaccines, uh, which was sort of taking care of the first wave of COVID, um, but the Delta wave meant over the summer, uh, that subsequent wave of, 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 uh, of um, COVID infections 
uh, before populations were fully uh, vaccinated meant you had a significant uh, second wave, third wave, depending on which country you were looking at. And it caused a significant slowdown in that economic recovery. So you really had an economy that was, you know, roaring out that sort of six, seven, eight percent pace at, at times of the first half of the year, slowing right down almost to a dead stop, not quite uh, over the course of the, uh, the summer months. Uh, so that was kind of unexpected as, uh, from that Delta wave. Um, but what we found out from that, going through the Delta wave, was how about that? The vaccines work. And so what we learned in the, in the, uh, the Delta wave was not nearly as severe as far as the, the compared to the first wave for those who were vaccinated. Um, and so we started to get a lot of evidence that we are starting, we have the tools to manage this sort of pandemic. Um, and it's a question of uh, how do we develop the policies and the bill and uh, abilities to move forward, uh, going forward. So, uh, so vaccine, that showed us vaccines worked. And as that wave crested, the Delta wave into sort of September, we sort of came out. And I do write these outlooks quarterly. I know my the, uh, the Q4 outlook, which I wrote in September, was kind of called Recovery Interruptus, was talking about we've had this slowdown, the economy slowed down, waves are crested. We expect the fourth quarter, where we are right now, to see a big reacceleration of the economy. Now, was that Recovery Interruptus notion, is that that cyclical recovery should play out post-Delta. And that has also been the case. The numbers for the economy in the fourth quarter have just been, uh, particularly in the U.S., sort of extremely robust. There's uh, uh, the Fed, Atlanta Fed, in the you know, Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta tracks a kind of a GDP now number. It's been tracking at nine and a half percent in the fourth quarter. So very, very robust uh, economic growth in the U.S. As that pent-up demand that we talked about last year, it was delayed or deferred during Delta, but it wasn't destroyed. So when things you know, sort of eased up again, that came back with a tremendous vengeance, if you will, in terms of the economic growth path. So, um, so, we, so that, that gives us a couple of things. We know we've got the cyclical recovery and we know COVID's not done with us yet. And so instead of our original premise of having a, a sort of a huge cyclical bounce, pent up demand and then sort of falling over, this one big mountain and come down the other side, what we got in the summer is you start going up two steps forward, bang, back down again. Two steps forward and bang, here we are now, Omicron. So it's what it's doing is, is uh, it's, it's causing the recovery, the pent up, that cyclical recovery uh, to sort of be drawn out, if you will, over a longer period of time. It's sort of going in a stop start uh, type of fashion. Uh, but it's the, so far it's not derailing. Uh, that uh, that recovery is just really impacting the timeline. And so when I look and say, well, you know, we didn't foresee the subsequent waves of variants. Uh, we knew it was a possibility. Uh, but what it has shown is that, as I say, uh, it's uh, we have to remain vigilant on this. And so looking now, as I said, I feel I mean, I'm starting to put together thoughts for writing my outlook for next year. And, you know, don't have a working title yet, but things like Groundhog Day or uh, sort of uh, wash, rinse, repeat are coming to mind because I think we're on the cusp of the same sort of thing right now with Omicron rising up and, and we can talk a bit more about that in a bit, but I do think the ultimate outcome of that will be that we see, once again, a significant slowdown headwind in the economy, but it's not going to derail uh, the economic recovery. It's just going to cause us all to take a step back and then we'll probably sort of re-accelerate out of that sometime later in the first quarter of next year. Uh, so those are some of the issues. And what that means to say what lies beyond the cyclical recovery is, well, we actually haven't got beyond the cyclical recovery yet. We're sort of still, it's still being drawn out. 
And uh, I think you know, 2022, a lot of those questions uh, really do still come into, uh, into play and they're already hugely in play. And we're gonna talk about some of them I'm sure today, but those, that new paradigm is a disinflationary or inflationary. And obviously with the inflation numbers that everyone has seen these days, you know, that's a top of mind topic uh, for everyone in terms of their own you know, personal life and expenditures. Uh, but it's certainly also top of mind from a macroeconomic perspective and a monetary policy perspective uh, and will be one of the most important uh, factors that we continue to sort of monitor and watch uh, as we're going forward. So uh, from that statement a year ago, uh, a lot's come true and a lot is still to be determined, but we have to still stay, stay, uh, stay on top of over the coming, uh, the coming year. Yeah, and, and so what you're uh, what you're saying is instead of the straight up, straight down, we're we're really getting that peak and valley, peak and valley, peak and valley. Uh, yep. And so, uh, from from my point of view, um, that's not a bad thing. Uh, let's let's forget about the uh, the actual virus part of it, but yep. in terms of markets, uh, I would much rather see the speed bumps, the pullbacks. Yeah. Uh, and not have this euphoric rise and, as you say, kind of tip over the edge of the cliff and then come back down uh, the other side uh, uh, yep. with uh, with issues. Uh, am I am I right on that? Or I, I think you've nailed the the important aspect. Instead of one big boom and followed by a bust, what we're getting is this is a mini boom up down up down, which means it goes on for longer. So as I say, leaving aside, and I think that's incredibly important, leaving aside the virus issues. Uh, and the human issues associated with that, but looking at pure, purely from the investment, Roy manages from an investment perspective, which is really the interaction of fun, economic fundamentals, policy, et cetera, uh, it's, that's very much the case. This is going to be, uh, it's overall slower growth. Um, I think uh, in the summer, the Fed's expectation, the US Federal Reserve for overall US GDP growth was a 7% number. That's going to be more like a sort of a four and a half to five uh, range this year because it slowed down. But as they've brought their growth estimates for this year down, next year's are going up. And so we get this sort of extended period of strong above trend GDP growth. It's a little bouncy along the way. Uh, but as I say, that is far better an outcome uh, for us as investors than just a boom bust and sort of be left with a hangover after a, a massive party. Um, so yeah. it's, it, it does mean the outlook in 2022 uh, and really into 2023 from an economic perspective, as I still think is gonna be a pretty strong above trend economic growth, it's gonna decelerate. So if we get kind of a, 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 four, you know, a 5% GDP growth this year, next year is probably a three and a half uh, type number. So definite slower growth, but trend growth in the US is only 2% on a good day. And so right now I'm looking out, it's probably, and, and, and then further get it, so it's probably at least well into 2023 before the US economy kind of slows down, back down to what kind of the trend uh, sort of type of growth rate would be. And which is when some of these questions as far as the sector stagnation versus sort of the growth projection sort of come into play. But that cyclical aspect of the recovery is gonna be drawn out over, uh, over a, a two to three year period as opposed to all crammed into one year. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say maybe add in there too, as your teams of uh, uh, portfolio managers in their different areas of uh, specialties, they actually like the, the bumpiness because it gives them exit points and entrance points uh, into great securities. Uh, I, am, am I right on that? 
That that is great, and that's one thing that actually gets missed in uh, in what's been going on this year. Um, if you look at certainly equity markets, the stock market's been pretty steadily going up. It's been a fantastic year. Is what we're looking at. You know, the yeah, TSX up 18, S&P up 23% year to date uh, as of uh, today. So a fabulous year for returns at the overall stock market level. And they're pretty close to all-time highs. But there have been periods of vicious uh, sort of uh, internal rotations within the market in terms of the average stock is not at near its all-time highs. A lot of them are down 10, 15, 20%. So you've got a lot of different parts stepping up and down and moving internal rotation as we've gone through this cyclical bounce slowdown, recovery, there's been a lot of moving parts. I mean, it's sort of like a duck underneath the surface. All calm on top, indices are doing fine, and the legs are just churning underneath. So it's been a challenging, in some ways, year for a frustrating year for a lot of people, but it's also thrown up a lot of opportunistic uh, areas where you could take advantage exactly as you said, if you're you know, nimble enough to sort of take advantage of some of those uh, uh, moves that are uh, taking place underneath the, underneath the surface. Yeah. And that's something we talk about with clients all the time. When when we're looking at long-term money, um, you can have that Rip Van Winkle effect where if you just put your money in, go to sleep and wake up in uh, 20 years, you're going to be a very happy camper. So you, yeah. if you don't need that money during that time, let the professionals do their thing. And yes, you're going to see some volatility because um, you, you have that short-term emotional swings. The... Uh, I uh, often talk about the markets being manic depressive uh, in, in short term, but they're a great valuation tool over the long term. So uh, those swings uh, actually help uh, help us add value. Actually, um, and from a top line, that's if, 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 if I've had one frustration, it's been there haven't been many pullbacks overall because we keep saying it's sort of like, you know, I'd love a good 10% sort of pullback be able to deploy more liquidity in the opportunities. As you know, we've taken uh, in the past opportunities of pullbacks as they've happened at times. Uh, and there really, there haven't been those opportunities. They've been more at the micro level. Um, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Over time, markets uh, are going to compound. And I think the you know, 100, 200 year compound return is in that whatever it is, six, seven, 8% return. Uh, I think that's a real return. But it's, so you're going to get a decent return in the markets. But there are going to be times when the market's going to be down you know, 10%, 15%. And for the most part, those should be opportunities to add to positions where we're talking about long-term capital, long-term money. So, yeah. uh, and, and John, that's an important issue for, for clients. And it's a drum I've been beating for a long time. Um, and it's for, for long-term savers, we're in a world today of what we call financial repression, incredibly low interest rates, okay? In fact, zero interest rates at the shorthand. Um, and what that means is that investing money into um, sort of a safe asset that will not bounce around, putting it into a savings account, putting it into a GIC, uh, even most government bonds uh, portfolios today, um, those are all earning negative real interest rates, which means when you say real interest rates, what is the level of interest rate you're getting after inflation? What's happening to the purchasing power of your money? And even if you're thinking of inflation, it still runs about 2% long-term. So forget you know, the, the, the big prints we're seeing now, the fours, five, sixes, those are not, uh, uh, that's not the long-term inflation level. That's just a, you know, a cyclical bounce. But even 2%, you know, if you're putting your money into like the, the Canadian 10-year bond at 1.4% uh, says you're going to lose money in purchasing power terms uh, of a half a percent a year every single year. And that's where Rip Van Winkle does not wake up happy. Yeah. 
Okay, so we are in this period, like we, a lot of us can remember sort of the 80s, uh, the 90s, some of us even the 70s, uh, where government bonds were often giving you sort of five, six percent, seven, eight, you know, not many of us remember the 12s and plus. Um, but those were incredibly high levels of interest above the rate of inflation. So you government bonds, savings accounts, you put your money in there and it compounded above the rate of inflation. That was fantastic. Today, you have to have different strategies when interest rates are just so low. Um, particularly for those long-term components, because you need to make sure you're going to be compounding above the rate of inflation. And so it, it, it's a message I keep beating on. I still think it is the most important factor uh, long-term for, for, for Canadian savers today is making sure you protect your money uh, from inflation. Even if inflation is low, when interest rates are at zero, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a huge challenge. So yeah. you're still losing money. Yeah, You're still and losing money and it's not a lot. So it's, uh, I'm with you on that one, Drummond, and I know we've talked about it in the past, but uh, it's something we often uh, help, uh, uh, try and help clients understand and re-educate them each time is that the portfolio that we had 20 years ago looks completely different than the portfolio that we have today. And really, it's, it's uh, in, in five years, 10 years from now, our portfolio is going to look different again. It's so important to stay on top of that and utilize the right tools to help you get that, uh, that needed return. Um, yep. I, I wanted to touch on something that you started to talk about there, and, and that was uh, interest rate uh, hikes, because everybody's interested in uh, interest rate, and uh, we, it's been talked about for a long time because this, this uh, people correlating the high inflation with uh, uh, higher interest rates coming. Um, what's, what's your outlook on that? Yep. Um, well, we, we are going to see rates rise next year. Um, nothing like the level of inflation now. That's part of those negative real rates that we're talking about. Um, and interest rates so far, but, you know, that's been a mystery for some people saying if inflation is so high, why are 10-year interest rates going down and only at 1.4% and like a 4% inflation? Uh, and that's telling you that the bond markets do not believe this inflation is long-term. You know, the bond markets and financial markets are telling you it's transitory uh, and they're looking out and saying, if you look at some inflation expectation markets, they do expect that this is this will be subsiding uh, when we get out sort of, you know, this five year, five year forward. So people aren't buying into this as being a strong structural shift in inflation going forward, first of all. And we can talk about some of the drivers of inflation. But what we are going to see is a rise of interest rates. And so interest rate policy, monetary policy is usually it's a, you know it's a it's a policy tool. It's usually designed to be counter cyclical. Um, so when you go into recession, you lower interest rates to try and stimulate growth. And as the economy sort of picks up, you try and you raise interest rates to try and sort of lean against that growth. And so when we went into the pandemic, now this recession was called by a pandemic, an outside exogenous shock. So there's a lot of factors that are different from a normal recession. But we dropped interest rates right back back down to zero. They also introduced something called quantitative easing. Um, and the economy today, as we talked about earlier, it's in, it's in big recovery mode. It's economies are booming again, uh, even if it's at some stop start. And that means you don't need to have this level of stimulus for monetary policy anymore. So we've seen a significant shift, particularly in the U.S., but also in Canada, uh, towards central banks signaling like a hawkish pivot, it would be called. They're saying it's time to start tightening policy. 
Uh, and particularly in the US where you still have quantitative easing. And this is the amount of, this is kind of buying bond. We get to zero interest rates, they can't lower it anymore. So they start doing quantitative easing, which is basically buying up bonds, injecting liquidity into the system. So the first step in tightening policy, you start withdrawing that uh, the quantitative easing, you stop buying bonds, which is effectively, you know, if the, if the economy is roaring as it is, you know, right now by doing, still doing quantitative easing, you're actually throwing gasoline on the fire when it doesn't need it. So initially the end of quantitative easing, you're not tightening, you're just withdrawing uh, stimulus. It's gonna stop throwing gas on the fire. And that's where we are in the US, that's been signaled. Uh, we started that last month, we're gonna hear in about probably a uh, short period of time they, from the Fed that it's going to they're uh, they're going to accelerate that uh, that quantitative easing um, because they it, we don't need it anymore. And then the next step next year we're going to start raising interest rates. The liftoff phase it will be data dependent. Our expectation right now in the U.S. is probably going to be around mid-year for the first rate hike. Once again, what happens to inflation growth? What happens with the the COVID bear? All of these will influence that. But right now you can think mid-year next year, they'll start raising interest rates. The Bank of Canada has been a little bit more hawkish. They've already stopped the, the, the quantitative easing. So they were uh, more aggressive and winding down the QE and the economy doesn't need it. And Canada's economy is further ahead relative to uh, pre-COVID metrics. Um, so they've basically very clearly signaled, uh, I think uh, um, Tiff's, the, Tiff Malcolm, our governor was, the first rate ex, uh, increase is expected somewhere between Q2 and Q3 was the latest guidance, which was pulling it forward. So we've got April circled in our calendar as the likely time for Canadian interest rates to be raised for the first time. Now, these are overnight rates, John, as you know. Okay, so that's a short-term interest rate. Uh, if people are worrying about what's happening to interest rates and what's happening to my mortgage rate, or should I lock in a five-year, et cetera, that depends on also the shape of the curve where the longer-term interest rates uh, are, are, are moving as well. And of late, even as we've discounted this raise of interest rates next year, we'll probably get uh, two to three interest rate increases next year. So far, the curve has kind of been flattening. We haven't seen further increases in longer rates, but I do expect those will also start drifting up next year. So as long as the recovery continues uh, to unfold, we're going to be moving to a very different stage of the recovery uh, versus this year, which is all about cyclical bounce and loss of stimulus. Now the economy is actually in the recovery mode. Last year, we were expecting a recovery. Today, we got it. And as we said earlier, we know it's gonna continue. So we think it's gonna be a sustained recovery, but it means we're starting to withdraw the policy supports. Okay, so it's time for the economy to stand on its own. And we're taking away the sort of monetary policy stimulus. Fiscal stimulus has already been wind down. It's a handoff back from government support to the to the private sector of the economy to drive that going forward. And that what we can expect as you raise interest rates and sort of withdraw stimulus, the economy keeps growing fine, earnings keep growing okay, um, but markets have already discounted a lot of that. So it's a it's going to be a much tougher time uh, for uh, sort of um, um, asset uh, asset markets to deliver positive returns. Rates should be going higher which makes it tough to make money. You know, higher interest rates means lower prices for government bonds. So you're, you're, you're losing money in government bonds in that scenario, or breaking even uh, at best. And equity markets have to fight against that tide of, of rising rates. Um, and so our expectation based in that backdrop, great economic growth, good economic outlook. Do not expect another 18, 20% return in stock markets next year. Okay? What? Come on. Stock, I know. Um, this is a time when markets grind. 
when they bounce along because we're withdrawing stimulus, we're withdrawing liquidity that's helped support not just the economy but the markets. And so it's a it's a, it's just it's just a tougher time. Things are good in the economy. A lot's priced into the markets. Um, I can tell you, I, I you know a couple of months ago when I was first put a pin in for uh, S and P 500 for the end of next year into 2022, I said 5,000 on the S and P 500. Um, and so that gives you you know what about seven percent upside from here. Uh, so as I say, still the best performing asset class. If I can get a seven percent in equities and a, a zero break even. Uh, on bonds, uh, which is kind of a best case scenario, that's sort of uh, uh, a pretty safe base case. Now, I expect we'll get just slightly better in, uh, in, uh, in, in equity markets, but it will really be dependent on uh, earnings continuing to come through uh, and the growth continuing to be there. And so, and right now I say that growth is there because the economy is growing, even if next year call it 3%, 3.5% real, but if inflation stays slightly elevated, to where it's been. So even if, if inflation stays, say, around 3%, if it comes down from where it is now, still above trend, higher than they're comfortable with. But you got to remember, inflation is somebody's pricing power. Yeah. So from an earnings point of view, that means I've got nominal GDP, the, the, do, the dollar value of GDP is growing at 3% real plus 3%. It's growing at 6%. So we have extremely robust nominal growth for last this current year in 2022 are some of the strongest nominal growth that we've seen in our careers. Uh, and that's just a very uh, favorable backdrop for corporates to sort of uh, uh, to, to perform and, uh, and for earnings. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, as you said, uh, um, the, the inflationary, or the, uh, sorry, the higher interest rates um, are something that the companies have to fight against. But in the end, it's not a death sentence to, uh, as long as there's not a huge spike uh, in interest rates, which is yep. not something that I believe you or we expect at all. Um, so it's, that shouldn't scare people. It shouldn't scare people from, a, from a, the short and from a policy point of view. Um, and we don't want to go all monetary policy uh, sort of nerdy on uh, on uh, on uh, on you, but it don't make my brain hurt. Exactly. There, 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 there's a concept called a neutral rate of interest rate, which is kind of the level of interest rate in the economy that is kind of neither stimulative or slowing you down. It's kind of where it should be. It's a theoretical concept. You can never see it. As long as interest rates are below this theoretical normal level, you're actually it's actually adding stimulus to the economy because interest rates are lower than what they should be. Right. And it's only when you go above that neutral rate at a certain level where interest rates start to become uh, sort of contractionary on the economy, where they're starting to bite because they're tighter than they should be. And we don't know where that neutral rate is. There's all sorts of models like the you know, these central banks have hundreds of PhDs stacked with them. And you know some say it's one, one and a half, two, whatever, because um, they're always trying to calibrate that and target to it. Um, but it's pretty safe to say it's probably somewhere between one and two. And so when I'm looking at this, uh, once again, it's, it's kind of a, a, a free year in 2022 because we're starting with rates at zero. Yeah. And I'm not worried. The first four interest rate increases until I get up to one, one and a half. And if they go 25 basis points a quarter, let's say, so four times a year. So maybe it's two times next year, three the next uh, in 2023. That means at the end of 23 on that schedule, you're at 1.25. Or, or 1.5, and if interest rates are 1. Point, like you, you're just getting to neutral then, yeah. And so it's not the first four rate increases that worry me; it's the last four. 
that's when you're starting to go beyond neutral and tighten. That's what we saw in 2018 when they started pushing interest rates up above 2% and you start tipping over the economy and you start tipping over markets. And so that's when you have to be worried about interest rates starting to be problematic is when they are getting to the point where they're starting to choke off demand uh, and curtail the expansion. But we have to, as I say, the first four are not going to be the ones that are going to cause problems. If we're going to get volatility in the markets. They will, you know, there are going to be drawdowns next year where we should get, this is time when it should be a bouncier, more drawdowns in the market, uh, a tougher, as I say, more volatility, less returns. Um, but because you're not at a stage where you're actually killing the cycle, the economic cycle, you're still in a solid expansion mode. Uh, it's just more mature than this past year. Uh, that's still a favorable for risk assets. And it's, it's only when you start to threaten the economic trajectory uh, that, uh, that, uh, that we, we, we start to get worried that interest rates are getting too high. So that's, that's this time next year. We can talk about that. Uh, you can pull up a quote that said, hey, he said you're going you're gonna to kill it next year. <laughs> Uh, but it, but it should be more 2023 or 2024 where that uh, that uh, that starts to come in potentially into play. Yeah, and then of course that depends on what actually happens through it all, right? There so let's let's uh, maybe shift back to what we started to talk a little bit about uh, um, uh, uh, back to the virus, Omicron. Yeah. Uh, what kind of a effect do you uh, think that might have? And I, I know this is a, a little uh, uh, crystal ball gazing, but given what we've already seen from uh, the, the variants, um, what do you read into that? Yeah, and so it's, um, I'm lucky. I have uh, Dr. Jeff Elliott, who's head of our healthcare unit. He's actually a PhD in all things virus related, you know, biotechnology, microbiology, all that, way smarter than you and I probably put together, uh, certainly when it comes to viruses and, uh, and pandemics. And so for the past year and a half, almost two years, he has been an invaluable resource because he's, 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 he's called it incredibly well, understand the science of the, vac of the viruses and the vaccines, timelines, et cetera, and very, very you know, reliant on, uh, on first level data, not news reports, because the news reports have been more often wrong than right. Um, so he's been involved, and actually he and I co-authored a blog um, just after Omicron was hitting uh, a week ago, sort of I think some of what we knew then, but we're still learning about it. Um, but uh, Omicron, I mean, in one of the virus chats that we've sent, is like, this is starting to scare him. Like it's, this virus, uh, this variant is, you know, it's replicating and transmitting at a, a pace we've never seen before. It is spreading crazily fast. Um, and so in Denmark, UK, it's doubling every two days. Um, and we're not far off that here. He was looking at the Ontario data this morning. It may be worth three days is doubling. This, this is a pace we just haven't seen in previous variants. So it is off the charts. And if you look at Denmark data, which has similar vaccination rates to us, where it's doubling every day, their cases are way through previous peaks of this virus. So uh, we are very concerned about the spread of Omicron. Uh, we believe it's going to be uh, less uh, dangerous a virus. It seems to be sort of less deadly. Uh, we don't have as much data on that. We know it's highly transmissible. We don't have as good data yet on the uh, uh, on the uh, how deadly it will be. But it would, uh, by all indications, appear to be less deadly, uh, which is positive. Um, vaccines still work, not as well. Uh, a booster shot definitely improves it. Get out, get boosted. Like 
um, just 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 do it. Let's not. You know, there's no other thing to say about that. Uh, and then and the third shot gives you pretty well back to the full protection that that we had in the previous ones. Uh, but it does mean we're going to see cases skyrocket. And even if it's like if you think of it, if it's if it's you know um, even if it's you know half as deadly or uh, cause for hospitalizations, if it's traveling, you know, getting four times as many cases, half as deadly, risk of hospitals being overwhelmed is very, very real. And that is always been the metric he says that you should look at for guiding public policy in terms of lockdowns or restricting behavior and movement is when your healthcare system starts to be overwhelmed. And so even as I say, we expect this to be a lot less deadly, hospital stays are slower, you know, fewer people going in as a percentage, but a much greater percentage getting infected and therefore in hospitals. And with the degree of the, the transmissibility, if you're not vaccinated, you're getting this thing, it will find you. Uh, and if you are vaccinated, you still have a good chance. So just, just be careful, but you're, it, it won't be nearly as, as severe. And so we're getting more cautious on the tactical position within our portfolios, John. We've sort of uh, raising a little cash, getting, we've been overweight all year based on our outlook from a year ago, overweight equities, well underweight government bonds, et cetera, playing that cyclical recovery. And we've, we've done that right through the year. And for the first time, uh, sort of therefore in little over a year, uh, I'm going back to a neutral stance uh, in terms of equities. And it's more tactical because I just think the next six weeks, eight weeks are um, vulnerable. We have markets that are still pretty close to all-time highs. I'm expecting as I said, this Omicron going to be far uh, uh, sort of more contagious and more cases than when people expect. I don't think it's going to derail the economy, but I've also got central banks that are moving into that tightening hawkish stance. So they don't have your back anymore from an economy. So I think it's more fragile time in the markets. Uh, and I want to have, instead of being overweight, I want to have a little bit of liquidity to take advantage of. If we do get some sell-offs, those will be opportunities to uh, to add to positions as we talked about before. In terms of the base case, how it plays out, I think it plays out like Delta overall in the uh, uh, from a macroeconomic perspective, I think we get a, it's a big headwind in the economy. It's going to force people to change behavior, uh, not go out as much, not spend as much. So we'll get another slowdown, okay, as cases do sort of roll, start to roll over, as booster shots roll out, people get more confident, then we're going to get another pickup. That pent-up demand will be deferred further or delayed. And it does mean as we get back later in, you know, whether it's sort of February, March, you sort of like to see that another reacceleration of the economy as, as, as more of that pent up spending comes back as, as confidence in the cyclical uh, recovery sort of uh, regain. So it's kind of, as I say, let's like Groundhog Day. It's, a, it's very much the scenario that we saw play out over uh, Delta, very much demand deferral, not destruction. I think the same thing plays out here. I just, given the setup in financial markets today, I personally want to be a little bit more cautiously positioned uh, in the funds uh, because I just think it's it's the next let's say next two months is a bit more fragile, and I want liquidity to take advantage of if we do get the uh, some sell-offs. But I do expect next year to be another, as I said before, strong economic growth. Even if it's sort of instead of a nice smooth thing, it's going to be up and down. Uh, but we're still probably going to have well above trend economic growth. Uh, and as I said, I still think high single-digit, low double-digit returns are possible in the in the equity markets. But I also expect we'll get at least a ten percent pullback, at least one. 10% uh, plus uh, pullback in markets um, going forward. Let's hope so. Yes, that's a positive. That's exactly, that's a, that's a, that's a positive out there. Well, that's good. And, and Drummond, I think you've uh, given us, as always, just a lot to think about, but uh, more importantly than that, just good, uh, good advice. And uh, 
uh, people don't really have to uh, uh, try and overthink it. It is, uh, it, it goes back to using their advisor who uses professionals like yourselves and your team uh, to make sure that the heavy lifting is done behind the scenes. Uh, it's, uh, I, I'm always, uh, uh, to use your term, beating the drum on this, uh, clients need to be most conscious of is their money long-term, medium-term, or short-term? Uh, what's the purpose for the dollars so that we then know how to allocate it? Uh, and then when we do go through these volatilities with the long-term, uh, it just doesn't matter. It's actually uh, good. Uh, it actually helps uh, you and your team do your job. Um, it's, it's that where the risk is, is that short-term money. You shouldn't be gambling with that. Uh, and yeah. I, yeah, I know you're a believer in that. And, uh, <laughs> yes. I, I, I stand on my pedestal and, and shout that story whenever I can. So, yeah. um, Drummond as always, I really appreciate you, uh, 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 taking the time to, uh, talk to our clients and our listeners. Um, I, uh, I was telling you, uh, before we actually went on camera here, uh, out of, uh, I think we've done this three times and your, uh, your uh, podcasts are in the top five uh, of our uh, uh, of our cast. So uh, that's saying something. People love to hear what you have to say. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to be sure about that, John. I think, uh, as I said, I think your clients are well served because I know yourself and those of the Santa office have been uh, have done. Uh, as I said, that's the team that your clients need to build is sort of uh, getting them in the right mindset position correctly and so uh, uh, it's a lot about what you have to say and uh, as I say appreciate the chance to work with you and uh, and on behalf of your clients well thanks so much Drummond so we'll let you go uh, um, have an amazing Christmas holiday for those who haven't figured out this uh, this is coming out in uh, uh, the first quarter of 2022 but uh, uh, we have okay. uh, we're recording it just before Christmas uh, mid-December here so uh uh, Merry Christmas, Drummond. Have a great holidays, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you throughout it. Awesome. Thanks. Merry Christmas, John. Again, a big thank you to Drummond Brodeur for being our guest here on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast and sharing his insight. Whenever Drummond comes on, his guest appearances, as I say, rank among our most popular shows. And for those of you that this is your first time hearing him, now you know why. On our next podcast, we will bring back my partner, Josh Dick, to help demystify this world of wealth management. This term has emerged over the last five plus years with advisors of all stripes using it. One of my quests is to help people understand what this term means to us, how and what we deliver. So as I'm fond of saying, you can make an informed decision. And that decision is to answer the question, are we what you are looking for in an advisory team? Our goal is to educate and engage you, our audience. If you have any topics you would like to dive deeper into, please let us know. As well as if I could ask you all to post a review. I'm no techie, but I'm told this really helps spread the word. So if you could, it would be very much appreciated. 
And for those of you who don't know the origin of the name Sauna Family Office, it stems from the meaning of Asante, which is Swahili for thank you. However, the most commonly spoken phrase in Swahili regarding Asante is Asante Sana, which means thank you very much. This name represents the gratitude towards all of the families and business owners who have chosen us to be their trusted advisory council. Until next time, Asante Sana. Hi, I'm Trevor Beggs from Sana Family Office, and thanks for listening to John Lawson and the Wealth Wisdom Podcast. Here are the necessary disclosures. Asante Capital Management is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. This material is provided for general information and is subject to change without notice. Every effort has been made to compile this material from reliable sources. However, no warranty can be made as to its accuracy or completeness. Before acting on any of the above, please make sure to see a professional advisor for individual financial advice based on your personal circumstances. The opinions expressed here are not necessarily those of Asante Capital Management. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Wealth Wisdom Podcast.